by the Human Resource Executive Magazine's HR Technology Conference and Exposition, held October 1st to 4th at the Venetian in Las Vegas. Join me and thousands of your colleagues at the world's largest exhibition of HR technology. Act now using the code HREX and you can receive a $300 discount on your ticket. Thanks. We'll see you there. And by the way, don't miss the Women in Technology segment. Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Hi, Stacey. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm doing well. It's uh, The temperature has come down a little bit. We're, we're doing well in North Carolina with some sunshine. How about you? You're home this week, right? Yeah. I had, uh, this, is, this is the end of two grand weeks at home, and then I'm headed to the East Coast next week. Well, we have we have turned the heat down just a little bit for you. It probably won't be quite as hot as it was. So, <laughs> God, it's been it's been brutal out here. I I think the whole country was under a heat wave last week. It, yeah, it was. I'm 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 watching the news come out of uh, the UK and London right now. You know, the ten tips to survive the heat wave. And I'm thinking, yeah, we we get it. You know, <laughs> Europe is definitely not used to the weather, and they're they're now dealing with it. So, um, yeah, it's it's you know. This is this is. I suppose we should probably get used to this for a while until, I guess we decide to do something. But yeah, the the heat's gonna continue. The the cold will probably continue. We'll have a lot more different types of uh, weather issues that we'll be talking about. Um, but you know, all of it comes back to 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 uh, what we do uh, with our our climate change discussion, I guess. So. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, it may be it may be too late. You don't live on the coast, do you? No, no, I'm I'm inland enough. I mean, we, we're about three hours outside of the coast here, but we do have a lot of friends who live out on the coast. Well, three so, hours, so, yeah, so, so, so you might have coastal property in another ten years. I could, yes. I, there, there is the possibility of that, definitely, yes. <laughs> yeah, out here we're just one earthquake away from coastal property. Yeah, exactly. I know. It's 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 and and it's um yeah, but well, you know, and the the thing that, you know, we're not going to talk about today cuz I don't think there's any particular stories that sort of get into this, but I but I have been starting to do some research on this is, you know, we talk a lot about the human impact and the the territorial impact and all that stuff, but there's a, there's a real business impact to all this stuff that's going on and a business and employee impact you know, uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm gathering for a current article I'm working on is is about sort of the the things that have happened and how people have used HR technology to deal with things like the hurricane crises or the earthquake issues or making sure people are safe and secure, making sure people have paychecks even though they're not working. That kind of stuff, it's going to impact everything all the way down to the work that we do. So yeah, it's it's not a not a standalone issue when we talk about uh, heat and. Uh, that's interesting. Oh. Where's the article going to appear? This is a this is a, a great story that you're talking about. It is. It is. I'm I'm not exactly sure right now. I, at this point, it is something that I'm writing for uh, uh, some work I'm doing later on. It, there might be a small piece of it that ends up in HR Examiner because I'm due for an article I think coming up. So. Ah <laughs> uh, <laughs> well. Like 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it's 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 an underreported thing. The the way that yeah. HR technology is used to help employees adapt to changing circumstances. So that's that's such a great topic. I'll look forward to seeing it. Definitely, yeah. So, what's in the bag? Well, it's a busy, busy week, but but not nothing explosive. I would say nothing that's you know. Um, out of the expected, you know, norm. We've got um, a couple of um, new launches in product areas. So Ceridian launched Dayforce in Ireland, which is something we've sort of been seeing them do. They were in Australia uh, a few months back. We saw UK last year, so, so this is not surprising. We also have um, Recruitix acquiring KRT Marketing. We saw a lot of these. I think last week, which is to recruiting applications and technologies and services, um, picking up marketing um, solutions. This seems to be like a marketing function, so that'll be worth the conversation. We have a lot of stuff on the coaching and talent engagement area. And so um, Culture Amp, which had their um, annual event uh, just recently, the last couple of days, um, they launched a new um, analytics tool that they're calling Foresight Engine. Um, and so there's some interesting conversation there about what they're saying they can predict now that they are mixing data from Zugata, which was their performance management acquisition that they had done, um, and their culture uh, sort of assessment and uh, solution tool. We also saw that in that same area of talent and coaching and mentoring, Fuel50 raised $14 million to bolster employee engagement and retention. Um, and then we also saw a little company called HR Tech um, sort of called Talent Guard. They snagged $4 million to help companies keep employees longer. And, again, same thing, engagement and uh, managing and coaching and mentoring. Uh, and then we flip over to the recruiting side, and we saw Harvard raising $15 million to automate high-volume hiring in enterprises. Uh, we saw TrueWork raising $12 million to verify people's identi- identity automatically, uh, a little bit of a competition to what Equifax and those do. Uh, and then on-demand marketplace Jobble raises $11 million all in the recruiting space. So lots of funding. And then if we get a little bit of time today, you know, it's well worth talking about um, Paychecks, which is a uh, um, payroll and HR software, um, much like uh, we've seen with some other organizations who have large databases of uh, information on what's happening in the job market is now putting out sort of a, an, uh, a regular update on what's happening in the mid-market and small business employment area. And so they have an update for July saying that the small businesses might be struggling a little bit. Um, and if we want to really get into it, we might want to talk about what happened with AWS, Amazon Web Services engineer who managed the Capital One data breach. Um, and how does that impact HR, those conversations? So uh, lots of interesting stuff this week. I, I, you know, nothing, I think, groundbreaking, but definitely topics that are on the mind of HR professionals all over the place. So where do you want to start, yeah. John? Well, I don't know. Let's, you, sa- you said if we have enough time, we might. So let's start there. Uh, what do you think about this um, AWS Capital One security breach? That's, that's that's a, that's a very interesting human resources problem, isn't it? It's a human resources problem, but it's also a bit of a tech challenge. I think you know the the there, there's two you know I think issues going on here. You know when when I first heard the story break, I was I was listening to NPR and my Alexa, right, <laughs> my cloud technology, and I you know over and over in the story they kept saying cloud technology in the cloud environment the cloud breach and all i could think of is you know anybody who's struggling with you know 
you know, any kind of data issues might think this is a technology challenge, right? But when you get to the crux of it, the technology had some errors there, but the breakdown was really a human being in this particular perspective. And and can you put enough technology and hardware in place to um, make every, you know, human component of this, you know, sort of uh, not a risk, right? Um, so that was sort of interesting to me was sort of how it was presented in the news versus what maybe really is happening. What what do you think? Do you think this is a well, where HR should be spending some time? So so there's no there's no such thing as a security system that people can't beat. Hasn't ever been, never will be. Um, um you get the technology right and, and this has always been the case. You know, you put a lock on the door, but somebody's gotta have a key and somebody's gonna learn how to pick the lock. That's the basic security problem is it's a cat and mouse game. Um, and so so the trick in really good security is understanding that the real security issue is people and their attachment to the company and their belief in the importance of the company or, the, or whatever the organization is. And it hasn't really had a strong emphasis across the board in HR, but the closer you get to the military-industrial complex or finance, the more you see HR taking on a um, um, a security mindset, um, and and my guess is that as all companies become technical companies, and that seems to be what's happening, um, you're going to see HR step more and more, probably a little reluctantly, into the security question. Yeah, I, we definitely see. Um, our data showed last year, which, it, one of, which was one of my favorite findings from the CRS data survey last year, was that um, as organizations move to the cloud in particular, the ownership of configuration and data security becomes much more um, prevalent in the role of the, the HRIS professional, whoever that is, right, which is an HR role, not an IT role, right? Um, and that, I think, is exactly what you're saying. This is, you know, as we move out of IT owns this and HR owns this and into a world where sort of everything becomes more of a continuous process and the tools are sort of all merging and, and data sort of flowing across one system to another, it has to be the role of the functional owner because they're the ones who who were basically own the relationship with the human being, right? Yeah, well, um, wasn't it your survey that found that um, 40% of, of the big companies um, already cede control of PII to the HR department? Right, so it's, a, so it's already a primary, primary um, security function lots of places because – when you don't have bank records like Capital One did, the, the most important information to secure is often employee data. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, this will be an interesting one to watch to see sort of who gets held accountable for this, both inside Capital One, in Amazon Web Services, and you know, in the case of this, um, this um, the thief. Um, who who also was a very human thief and that she bragged about it, which is part of why she was. So I think, you know, your comment about how connected people were to the company and their business is a big conversation, but that she had someone who turned her in, a whistleblower as well, meaning that they felt that this was inappropriate. So there's a bit of that that goes on that. So sort of how important do you feel these kind of things are in the market, right? 
Yep. Yep. So what's up next? Well, I mean, why don't we start a little bit with what's going on with Ceridian? I mean, I um, they'll be getting ready to have their conference here come up in September. We're going to probably hear a lot more from them, you know, kind of the first big conference event um, after their IPO and sort of through their transition. So I'm interested to seeing where, they, where they're saying they're going to go. But, uh, you know, them launching Dayforce in Ireland, and it's not actually launched. They said coming in the next sort of release, so it's, it's still yet to come. But – um, a year after they launched the UK, not a huge announcement, right? That's you know sort of in the same territory of the places they've been staying with all sort of the English-speaking sort of countries, but definitely pushing their focus on moving international. And then what was interesting in the interview that one of the interviews that was mentioned, um, David Ossip, the CEO, said that you know next up is New Zealand after they've, they've just launched Australia earlier this year. So so. What do you think? Do you think this is there's anything sort of more interesting here to the conversation that's being had by Ceridian, or is this just them saying we're going to go global and this is our first step in it, as we've been discussing? Um, it looks like it's just part of a normal global rollout. It seems to me that what Ceridian has done is they have scaled back their ambition to be um, – a broad human capital management solution and have up-leveled their um, desire to grow their market, right? And so that's a, that's a, that's a kind of a rearrangement of their strategic thinking, I, I believe. Does, well, that well the thing that I took, yeah, no, completely. The, the, the thing that I took away from this was, particularly with the speed at which they're doing all this, which is good to see, I mean, and, and not surprising with the IPO, <laughs> But my takeaway is that, you know, for a while they were sort of stuck between do we expand market or do we go upscale, which means you have to broaden what you offer, right? right. Um, my sense is, is that, and I would have to agree with them, you know, when you look out at the, the European and Asia-Pacific market, which are really hot right now and changing over their HR systems pretty rapidly, there's enough business in that mid-market space where Ceridium plays really nice that they don't really have to go upstream as much, I think, to increase overall numbers. And that, that it makes a lot of sense to me what they're doing. Yeah, sticking to your knitting is a good strategy. And, and it's, a, it's an interesting adjustment because um, Ceridian spent, geez, most of a decade um, redefining itself as a fast-growth standard technology company and now they are settling into growing the business, and that's that's a sort of a second step in their maturity curve, I think. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be interesting to hear what comes out of their their event. I think it's in September or October, and uh, we'll get a chance to to maybe get some more light shed on all of this. Um, but what do you think about some of the other stuff going on right now in the recruiting space? We, you know, we have another acquisition here this week of Recruitix. Um, acquiring KRT Marketing. Again, two companies I don't know much about, um, but they are um, known in the recruiting space. Is this just a just a continuation of what we talked about last week? You know, let's pick up more marketing tools and marketing applications, or is this something yeah, different? It's really interesting to me. Most of what's happening in recruiting, and there's a lot of money being thrown at it, involves areas of volume hiring. Right. These are all tools that work best when you're talking about volume hiring. So it's like there's some stewing competition in in the arena of high volume hiring, which might you know, that might be twelve 
maybe 15% of the jobs in the American economy. It may be a larger number of the jobs in Asia right now, but, but it's, it's, it's a niche rather than the overall hiring problem. And, and almost all of the announcements that we looked at are about that volume hiring thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Harvard, which is it's sort of the next conversation in this this list, raising fifteen million to automate exactly that high volume hiring in enterprises. Um, you know, that was an interesting one to me. You know, because they started the article off with the robots are coming to steal our jobs. The one that at least that I, that I was looking at, and I was like, okay. And then it turned into, oh, but really, we still have this high high volume hiring. And I think that is actually an interesting perspective, though, to, if you think about it. You know, you and I have been talking about artificial intelligence and what it can do for quite some time. There is some perspective that high-volume high volume areas are probably the first to probably be automated, right? I can already tell you, you know, I go to most of my restaurants, and my waitresses barely take my order at this point. You know, I put my order into my little online screen. You know, somebody brings it out. I pay my check through my online screen. The waitress brings me my drinks and makes sure that I am, you know, happy with my meal, um, which is a, a very different, you know, sort of higher than what, you know, they would have needed even just two years ago before those took place. So what do you, you know, do you think this will come to a head where we, we're putting so much investment in artificial intelligence for recruiting in high-volume hiring? Is that a, a risk that that could maybe have an issue down the road if we actually automate all those jobs or a good portion uh, of them? Uh, you're exactly on, on my point of view, which is that um, if it is a highly repeatable task, it is exactly the kind of thing that's going to be automated. And so, so I wonder about the length of the market for high volume hiring solutions, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's big and maybe it lasts forever, but it seems to me that it's um, one of those things where as, as you get better and better at, um, processing the hires in a high volume setting, the very act of getting better at that makes it easier to automate. Right. And so, so it's almost like these high volume tools are paving the way. Working your way out of a job. I often say that when I do research. So (laughs) it's an interesting place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to jump to TrueWork because I think the one thing that's a little bit different here is TrueWork in this in this picture because it's about identifying people. But did you have another comment on the on the high volume hiring? Nope, nope. So go to TrueWork. Yeah, TrueWork is the one that that caught my eye a little bit more. So so TrueWork is twelve million dollars that they uh, are getting invested in them, and they're focused on verifying people's identity automatically. Now I don't, I haven't briefed with true work I, i'm actually i'm kind of interested and i probably will reach out to them after this because i have seen a lot of what you would consider blockchain conversations about you know identifying people and you know certifying who someone is so that you you can you know, so be assured that whatever they say is in their resume and whatever they say is in their background is accurate right um i have a lot of family members who are in the service and go through a lot of you know uh, background checks and compliance checks and security checks and i know that's a real process to go out and do those kind of things still do you, is this a is are there technologies at this point that can do that kind of certification you think at at the at the level at which sort of we're talking about ensuring that people um are doing more than just 
background checking the what school they went to at this point? You know, you know, this is this is the kind of notion that just makes me crazy. Um, <laughs> it just, it just, it just, it, it's such nonsense. Um, and 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 here's the thing, right? The underlying claim here is that people lie extensively on their resumes, right? <laughs> and and that and that what you have to do is validate what people say on their resumes in some elaborate way because everybody lies on their resumes. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. Um, so, so let's say, let's say you've got a resume and you've been working for 15 years and you've held the average of one job every three years. So you've got five jobs to explain on one page of paper. Well, so that's, that's three years worth of, what the hell did you do? Summarized in 150 words, maybe. Uh, yeah. And guess what? Whenever you simplify stuff like that, it gets less precise. Right? And sometimes, like if you're in the military, is a, is a particularly great example, you have to translate the title of your job into something that people can understand because nobody can make sense of what they call stuff in the military. Right, so you have to, you have to translate it so that people can understand it, and this is the stuff that companies like this claim is lying, um, or or places where you need to validate, and it's just it's simply not true, um, right? So so this is, right? There's a lot of money to be made telling people that the world is about to end, and then selling them insurance for it, um, and and that's the underlying premise here in my mind. Ooh, that's a that's a sharp one. I I'm not sure I completely agree with you on that one, but I but I get where you're coming from. I mean, um, anytime you generalize you and you take away the the context of what happened to someone, then you then you lose sort of uh, I think some of the value of some of the background checking you know things. But on the other hand, I do think there is um, there is a, an area or a space that is a real gap right now, which is and I don't know enough about this. Like I said, I, I'm interested in getting to know a little bit more about true work. But I think there's a huge gap in the market where background checks are done and the the candidate has no visibility into what and how those kind of things are being done, right? Um, and so you're kind of playing a fixed game, right? So to your point, if if I've done my resume in a way that makes sense to me, but it, you know, seems to you like I'm lying, well then, how, you know, again, it's a game that I don't know the rules to, right? And so... Um, there are there are a lot of situations, or if I had a situation in my past where there was for one reason or another where I ended up with you know legal issues. Again, how do I address that in an environment that's you know secure and deals with my own context at that point in time? We don't really give anybody that option, and so you know the only people who make it through the system are those who have basically you know been able to sort of walk a very narrow path of sort of not getting into hot water in any one place or you know area. So yeah, it's it's. I think it's a challenge, and I think verification could be an answer to some of that if it's done well. So, yeah. Well, but but so so isn't it increasingly against the law to verify um, 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 claims about compensation? It is I, yes, and we are yeah, starting. Well, this, you, is, you this, is this is one of the things these people are selling. 
Um, (laughs) And it's also getting to be a point where we're now putting don't check the box, which is the idea of not asking people if they were um, had criminal backgrounds before we you know go through the hiring process, which is as happened in a couple of states like Colorado and those. So yeah, we these are these are issues which are regulatory as well as ethical, and um, they're a challenge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, let's 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 move on. Let's let's move on. Well, I think, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the recruiting, but we didn't talk about the funding that's going into what I would say is culture and engagement and that work. So I think, you know, first, their um, Culture Amp, as we mentioned, have their, their conference this week, and they launched their Foresight Engine, um, which is predicting that with the Foresight, they can predict employee outcomes related to engagement, performance, and retention, um, which is them taking a huge, bold move from what they've been in the past, partially because they've picked up Zugata, which is a performance management system, so they've been able to sort of merge their culture assessments and culture conversations and tool sets with a performance management system's data and conversations. Um, what do you take on this? I mean, this is a whole conversation about um, data that is originally meant to be dealing with cultural conversations, and now we're talking about things like keeping people or understanding who's going to be performing better, right? Well, it, it was it was a confusing story. It was a very confusing story. Both both Zugata and Culture Amp have consistently made the claim that they are peer to peer tools. Um, um, and so the Zugata idea about performance management was that it was something between employees, um, yeah. and the Culture Amp idea was that that you could help employees navigate without having to intrude on them. And this announcement suggests that um, managers are now able to dig into the data and make predictions about employee performance. That, that, that tells me that the, that the core idea isn't working all that well. That's, that's what it tells me. From a sales perspective, I, you know, it, it it, it, it's definitely a concern when you start, I think, tying culture and engagement and sort of peer-to-peer relationships to the idea of my manager is going to learn something. Again, I haven't seen this. Um, I'm actually quite interested in seeing what this, this this tool is. I've seen pieces and parts of it, I think, in a conversation that I had earlier this year with CultureAmp. Um, I know them and their leadership have, have staunchly stood behind the fact that they are trying to give data to employees and to companies about groups of people, not individuals up to this point. So I, I you know, without hearing more from them about whether or not this is going to be an individual component, um, I think that's a really important thing to, to validate. But I do think it, we, we keep running into this, you know, everybody wants to pinpoint some prediction about me personally. And can you, with any statistically significance, pinpoint individually information about me versus about a team or a group of people in an organization? It's a, you know, it's, it's such a tricky question. Culture Amp, I believe, um, adheres to the idea that you can aggregate data from all sorts of different companies in order to make predictions in individual companies, because really um, only the largest the largest, the 20% or so of employees who work in companies that have more than 5,000 employees. It's, it's, a, it's a small number, but only, 
only in those environments, and 5,000 is, is hardly enough. It's more like 50,000 is the right number. It's very, very difficult to make predictions because there's not enough data. Right, So then you have to go to the idea that all companies are the same, so you can make predictions about any company because you have data from, from a lot of companies. And I, I, you know what? That, that, doesn't seem, that doesn't seem like it has much in the way of respect for the individual cultures. Um, um, I'm sure there are some things that you can predict about companies in the aggregate, but individual companies, individual people inside of companies at, at some scale under 5,000 employees? Not yet. Yeah, I think, I think it'll be an interesting thing to put to the test. Um, I don't disagree with the, the, the concept of connecting performance and culture data. I think that's actually a solid, but I, and this goes back to some of the conversation we had last week, which is to do good data analysis and do good, to, you know, we have to sort of keep trying some of this stuff and seeing what's working. The question is, at what point do we cross any lines? And I, I we have no idea if that's, but I do think that, you know, the Zugata sort of approach to performance management and the culture amp approach to culture if this is sort of managed effectively, could get some interesting results that we wouldn't see maybe with some of the other bigger tools. And so that, and it's a different approach to talent management. So it's, it's, it's a definitely a way to sort of start looking at things. The question is, will it have an impact negatively on employees individually, right? Well, so there goes our half hour. Um, another rollicking conversation, Stacey. Um, thanks. <laughs> Always interesting, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Um, you've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumpter. Um, We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for listening in. Bye-bye now, and thanks again, Stacey. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Bye.